and uh, Kevin Spence for, for sharing with us. I'm almost too exhausted to preach now because of that workout. But All right, we are, uh, if I have not met you, yes, my name is Ross. If I have not met you yet, my name is Ross. I get to serve here as family pastor. And uh, whether you are joining us online or whether if you're in person, uh, it's good to worship our God, for, both for the goodness for who he is, but also for the goodness of what he does and is doing. Let me, uh, uh, let me pray for us uh, before we jump into the word this morning. Father, we uh, praise you because you rule the nations with truth and with justice, as we just sang. Uh, and even now, as the nations rage, we praise you because you are on your throne. And we uh, look back on this past week as, as a nation uh, uh, with uh, a week of unclarity and uncertainty and anticipation. Uh, and now we, we ask that you would continue to provide clarity. Uh, for us as we look at the election results. Uh, that's what we uh, desire uh, now. We desire, God, as it seems like we will ha- be having a new new president uh, come next year. Uh, Lord, would you be with uh, him? Give him wisdom uh, and grace uh, to lead this nation well, to lead, it, lead, it, lead us with wisdom, uh, to enact policies and uh, advance uh, uh, policies and legislations that are good for our nation, uh, that are ultimately would lead to greater human flourishing, not only in this nation, but across the world. And uh, above all, as you ask us to pray, would uh, you give him uh, the ability to lead so as we might be able to lead peaceful and quiet lives uh, so that all may come to know and to trust you. Uh, we know we can pray that no matter who's in the Oval Office, no matter who uh, is representing us at, uh, in the Senate or in the House or locally, uh, we can trust you as the true King. So we ask you to do these things for us. And now as we turn to your word, we pray that you would change us, that you would change us by the power of your spirit in accompaniment with the preaching of the gospel. You would change us now even in our seats Make us more like you. Stir us, stir within us greater affections for your glory and for your word. Uh, make us, transform us into the image of your Son. Uh, and we pray this all now in Christ's name. Amen. Awesome. Uh, all right, so we are, uh, this month, the month of November, we're looking at uh, our mission as a church. Each November we take time out of, a, out of our normal schedule of preaching through a book of the Bible, and we look specifically at our mission as a church. And uh, this Missions Month, we are filling in, we're completing the sentence, discipleship means, in four different ways. So, uh, oh man, I'm not even showing up here. We are completing the sentence, discipleship means, uh, in four different ways. Firstly, we saw last week Justin introduced the series by saying, discipleship means loving Jesus. Secondly, we will look at today, discipleship means being discipled by Jesus. Then we'll wrap up the series by looking at uh, that discipleship means being discipled by others. And then discipleship means finally discipling others ourselves. So this is week two, being discipled by others. And we're going to start, we're going to jump into uh, the Bible eventually, about 
It's going to be a few minutes before we actually get to Scripture, but if you want to right now turn to, in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 50, that's where we're going to be. Isaiah chapter 50, just hold your, you know, hold your place in, in Scripture there. We'll get there in a second. But before we read Scripture, before we jump into our passage, I want us to lay a little bit of groundwork. I want us to define what, what do we mean by following Jesus, by being discipled by Jesus. And here's, here's a definition that I think we're gonna, that we're going to work with. This is uh, not in Scripture, but I think it's, it's helpful for us. So uh, discipleship is following, Je- uh, following Jesus is the process of looking and linking to Jesus in daily apprenticeship to him. Following Jesus means the process of looking and linking to Jesus in daily apprenticeship to him. Okay? Now we're going to unpack that definition as we, as we go, but I just, right now I just want to point out a couple things. Firstly, it is a process. So uh, it's not an event. You didn't arrive at following Jesus when you prayed a prayer uh, when you were 6 years old or 21 years old or 56 years old. Uh, it's a process, not an event. When Jesus came or went around preaching, he did not go around preaching, uh, pray a prayer, invite me into your life, and, I, and you'll live in heaven with me for eternity. He didn't ever say anything like that. He invited men to come follow him in a process of discipleship. Secondly, following Jesus is apprenticeship. I use that that word, you may have heard following Jesus described in that way before, but apprenticeship involves looking to, it involves observing, observation, and it involves linking. That is, we, we must align our lives and, and we must uh, do the same things that our teacher, that our master does, okay? So that's our definition for following Jesus. And as we come to uh, this question uh, this topic of following Jesus, being discipled by Jesus, I want us to frame our conversation around two questions. Firstly, I want us to ask, why should we be discipled by Jesus? Okay? And there are two, questions, two answers that we'll consider. And then, uh, secondly, we'll ask, how, do we, how are we discipled by Jesus? What practices, what habits do we need to incorporate into our lives to follow Jesus well, okay, so that's, that's where we're going. <clears throat> it's, it's almost become a, a cliche in 2020 to talk about how exhausted we are, how weary we are with all the events surrounding us, as I mentioned in our prayer. Not only do we have an election, we also have a half a dozen other controversies plaguing us as individuals and as a nation, as a state, as, as a globe. Ambiguity, lack of clarity, division, uh, they, they extend an already nagging debate. And I don't really want to get into the, the details of 2020, but what I do want to point out is that this exhaustion, the weariness that each one of us can identify with, or the frustration about the state of our nation, or the frustration about the state of a virus, or, or whatever, that exhaustion it, whether it be on a personal level in your personal life or a national level or a systemic level, it flows from a failure to live as we were designed to live. Exhaustion flows from a failure to live as we were designed to live. Have you ever found yourself in a position where you used the wrong tool for the job? Uh, 
maybe you've never picked up a drill press like this guy and tried to drill a hole into a bench, and maybe you've never tried to pound a hammer in with a screw, as frustrating that would, uh, that would be. But using the wrong tool for the job is, is exhausting. It's frustrating. And Monica and I, when we were first married, uh, we were living in South Carolina. We had two little cars, and her car, the biggest of the two cars that we had, was this 1999 Buick Park Avenue that she got from her grandpa. And we used that thing... Uh, to its fullest extent possible. We uh, did everything you could imagine with that, or we fit everything that you could imagine in that little car. We moved twice, and that was the biggest vehicle that we had, so we hauled furniture across town. Uh, we built a deck, uh, and that was the only, we didn't have a truck, so that was the only vehicle, so we shoved lumber in that car. Uh, we, it was amazing. We were quite proud of ourselves at how well we utilized this vehicle. We fit a love seat one time in, in, the, in the back seat of that car, and, um, and, and we, uh, we've, we ended up, uh, we, we were quite proud of ourselves. But here's the thing, when you, we were using it for what it was not designed to do. A, a, a Park Avenue is designed for a comfortable ride carrying a maximum of five people, right? Uh, it's not a pickup truck. And so using it for what, using this car for what it was not designed to be used for led to uh, not only frustration, it took us like 10 times as long to build the deck uh, as if we would have just been able to do it in one load to Home Depot, but, and also my lack of construction skills, but that's besides the point. What, uh, using a vehicle like that for what it's not designed to use leads to frustration. So, uh, and, and exhaustion. The car was wearied, we were wearied, the, the car was all scuffed up on the inside after we were done with it. it. There was places where the leather had torn, we even broke a window, the windshield actually in at one time from, from abusing this car. And that's because sedans were not designed to haul furniture and lumber. Now we know this is true with, with cars and tools, that, that, living, that, that using something for what it was not designed to, to be used for leads to exhaustion and frustration. But it's also true for us, for people. And what we're discovering this month is that humans have been designed for a particular specific purpose. We have been created to enjoy and glorify God by following Jesus in discipleship. Yet sadly, many people, many people in our community, many people across the world, many people I would even uh, fear to say, many people in this, even people in this room, go their whole lives without ever realizing and experiencing this good and beautiful design. And as a result, we become incredibly weary and exhausted by Living a life that runs contrary to what we have been designed to become wears us out and saps the life out of us. Ignoring our call to follow Jesus and to walk closely with him is like trying to use a Buick Park Avenue to do what only a pickup truck was meant to do. It leaves us frustrated and tired. And so we ask the question, why does being discipled by Jesus matter? Why does following Jesus matter? It matters because sin saps the life out of us, and it saps the life out of our world. As our world chafes against God's design, we grind ourselves into a lifeless powder. We pound ourselves down like a screw being driven into wood by a hammer. This world is wearied by sin and is in desperate need of people who know something of the life-giving, sustaining gospel of Jesus. This world needs a church 
of people who have walked closely with Jesus, who have come, become intimately acquainted with him, been discipled by him. And this is, this is a truth that's set out for us in all of Scripture. We see from the opening chapters in Genesis 3 that when Adam, and when Adam sins by eating the fruit, God curses humanity and he curses every single relationship that, that, might, be, uh, 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 that might be frustrated and wearied by our sin. He, 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 uh, and then we see this play out in the, in the unfolding chapters of, of Genesis. We see Cain kill his brother Abel and then every descendant of theirs thereafter is, is cursed by a life of agony and frustration and toil ending in death. And then we see the same pattern pick up in the life of, of Israel and of God's covenant people. They, God saves them out of Egypt and they spend 40 exhausting years wandering in, in the wilderness simply because they refuse to yield to God's good intent and design for their life. And even after they enter the promised land, uh, they fail to do what God commands and worship him as God intends. And so he causes them them to fall into the hands of oppressors and and warlords and foreign kings. The story of scripture is the story of sin sapping the life out of humanity. Every human soul and the entire cosmos strains under the weight of sin like a heavy bough of a tree weighed down by a load of wet snow. This world's rebellion is a restless pursuit that will never satisfy. And not only do we see this reality in Scripture, we also see this reality in the world around us. Every soul you encounter as you go about your week, in your neighborhood, in your workplace, in your home, and everyone knows something of that soul-sapping, soul-draining effects of sin. I remember a few years ago, I was talking to a friend of mine who was, uh, he was uh, one of the happiest guys you've ever been around. He's always had a smile, always, you know, encouraging you. He's, he's uh, everybody loves him. He's outgoing, really friendly. But uh, this, during this particular conversation, he was not in that kind of mood. Uh, we were, I remember, I still remember, we're sitting on a couch kind of si- like sideways um, uh, to each other. And, and he's, he's talking and you can just see visibly uh, the, the, the havoc that sin had reeked within him as he, sh- as he shared with me about uh, his addiction to pornography and sexual sin. And this is not the first time he'd ever, uh, I'd, I'd known that he'd been working through that, but in this particular moment, you could just see the effects of sin on his face and in his, in his, in his posture. His body slouched, his head is hanging heavy, and he, and he says to me, I remember, he just says, I'm just tired. I want it to be over. I'm so angry with myself and I'm angry at God. Sin and its effects sap the life out of us. This world's world's rebellion is a restless pursuit that will never satisfy. So as we think about Missions Month and our mission as a church, we must remember this fundamental reality about the world that we live in. We live in a world wearied and worn out by sin. Your neighbors across the street, your coworker down the hall, your classmates and teachers, we are, they are all gripped by a restless pursuit that will never satisfy. And, and if you think 
if you don't believe me, I think you would know this to be true if you were honest with yourself about the state of your own soul. Realizing this should force us to ask, how can we be a part of bringing rest to a sin-weary world? And the answer is, relief to a world battered by sin can only be offered by those who look to and link themselves to Jesus in apprenticeship with him. So that's the reason number one. Why do we care about being discipled by Jesus? It's because sin saps the life out of us and of our world. Now, uh, now we're going to turn to reason number two. So would you turn with me to Isaiah 50? You can open up with me. And it's fitting for us to look to Scripture uh, because really, as we've seen, the entire arc of Scripture, the entire story is the story of God through Christ redeeming humanity out of our sin-wearied, worn-out, and exhausted state and bringing us back to full, abundant rest with Him as He originally designed. And in Isaiah 50, verse 4, we're just going to be looking at the one verse, verse 4, uh, is one of these passages in which God speaks, speaks about this, his plan, his divine plan in a really stirring way. And we see here that in response to humanity's restless pursuit of rebellion, we see our second point, that, that God sends a servant to sustain the weary. So our, second, so our second answer to the question, why must, we, why must we be discipled by Jesus, is this. Only Jesus, our servant, can sustain a world wearied by sin. So, let's look at Isaiah 50, verse 4. We're going to really just kind of spend the rest of our time uh, unpacking packing this one verse. So, just for some context, Isaiah is written to, to a society that is on the brink of disaster... They have endured years of bad leadership under multiple selfish kings. And on top of this, they find themselves staring down the barrel of a gun as, as three major powers uh, threaten to overtake them, to invade and enslave them. We ha- they have Assyria from the north, Egypt from the south, and then the rising Babylonian Empire way, from, way, way ways to the east. They're all threatening to invade them. So if there was ever a group of people who were worn out by the the effects of their sin and the effects of sin generally, this is it. Israel is bruised and Israel is battered. And a huge part of Isaiah's message to them in the first 40 chapters of his book has been this. Look, Israel, it's going to get a lot worse before it gets any better. If if you've ever been a part of a a home remodel project, you know what this is like. Uh, you're staring at your kitchen that you know needs to be, that you want, desperately want to be revamped. You want, you envision, you have the grand visions of, of new countertops or new cabinets and new appliances. Uh, but before any of those things can go into place, the demo has to happen, right? It's got to, you got to rip everything out. It's going to look a whole lot worse before it looks any better. If you want proof of this, just come over to my house after, after church. It looks a lot worse than it before it looks a lot better. And so Isaiah is telling Israel... Before you will be rescued from your oppressors and restored to a right relationship with God, your nation will be destroyed and you will experience God's judgment and be exiled to Babylon. But then in the second half of Isaiah, God assures his people with the hope that after it gets worse, it will in fact get better. That he will really redeem his people and specifically this redemption would come through a person called the suffering servant. 
suffering servant. And we know that this, this is, uh, this, uh, we know today looking back that this suffering servant is the person of Jesus. And so Isaiah tells us uh, that this servant would perfectly keep the covenant that Adam and Israel were meant to keep. Isaiah looks forward and sees that finally there would be a person who lived as God designed humanity to live. And Isaiah 50 is one of the places in Isaiah where this servant is described, okay? So let's read Isaiah 50, verse 4, uh, together. This is the, the servant speaking, which is Jesus. He says, The Lord has given me the ability to speak like those who are taught, in order that I may know how to sustain with the word the one who is weary. Morning by morning he awakens. He awakens my ear to hear as those who are taught. All right, so here the servant, Jesus, he's poetically describing himself, what his life would be about. And he says that God has given him the ability to speak as one who has taught. That is, literally, he, he has been trained, he has been uh, discipled. That's the same Hebrew word that we get the word disciple, or that the translation of the word disciple comes from. Uh, he has been taught, he's a student, he is an apprentice who has been trained how to speak. And then why has, he been, has God given him this ability to speak? It is so that he may know how to sustain the one who is weary with a word. So God looks on his sin-exhausted, uh, sin-saturated, weary people, and he decides to send them someone who is able to sustain them, to bring comfort and rest in the midst of their weariness. And he does this with a word. Isn't that beautiful? He, he sustains the weary with a word. This is the Jesus we saw several months ago in our series in Matthew, back in Matthew chapter 9, you may remember. Jesus uh, sees a man who's paralyzed, and he looks this man in the eye, and he says, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. Take up your bed and walk. This is the Jesus uh, that we saw in Matthew chapter 11 when he stands up and he, and he cries out, Come to me, all who labor and who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. This is the servant who sustains the weary with a word. The cure for the world's sin-wearied state is the sustaining gospel of our suffering servant. But then in the last part of the verse, he tells us how the servant would be trained to offer this message of rest for the weary. It says, morning by morning, um, yeah, morning by morning, he, he was awoken to hear, to receive the truth of God that he would pass on to his weary listeners. In other words, in Christ, we have a Messiah who is taught by God himself. Now, this might sound confusing to, to us because Jesus was God. How is he going to learn anything from God? That doesn't quite make sense. But, in, but this is exactly what we see in the Gospels. We see in Matthew 4 that 
Jesus, uh, we find Jesus going out to the wilderness to fast and to pray and to meditate on Scripture. That's what he's doing out there. He's, he's learning and being in close proximity to the Father. We see him in, Math, in Mark chapter 5. We learn that it was his custom, it was Jesus' custom to wake up early in the morning to go and pray in a secluded place. Morning by morning he was awoken to be taught and to learn. And then as a result, he could say in places like John 12, John 12, 49 and 50, Jesus says this. He says, I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has given him, given him, has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that this commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. It sounds a lot like Isaiah 50. He's been instructed by the Father and he's relaying the message that he, was, he, was, he received from God the Father himself. One commentator on Isaiah, Alec Matir, he, he described Jesus as uh, the disciple par excellence, which is just a kind of a fancy Latin way of saying Jesus is the, the ideal and perfect disciple. The ideal and perfect exemplary student and apprentice. He's the only one, the only human who ever walked truly with God. He's the only one in all of human history who has ever lived the truly human life that you and I were designed to live. He's the only one who lived in perfect fellowship with the Father and who did not chafe against God's good design. Yet though he fully embraced God's perfect intent and beautiful intent for mankind, unlike all of us, he would pay the consequences for our rebellion. Though he had followed God perfectly, he would be led to exhaustion and despair, taking on the curse of our sin. And because he took the full weight of our exhausting, life-sapping sin, those who trust in him fully Find in him full and abundant rest. This is the servant that the, that the weary and battered world of Isaiah's, needed, of Isaiah's day needed. And this is the servant, the only servant who can sustain our sin-wearied world today. Alright, so to summarize where we've been this far, we've seen why, the why behind following Jesus. We must follow Jesus because our world is tragically wearied by sin and needs to be pointed to the only one who can truly sustain us. But now we're going to look at the how, okay? That's what we're asking. How do we follow Jesus? And our verse for this morning, I think, shows us this as well. So our third point is this, that only by daily learning from Jesus, our sustaining servant, can we bring rest to a sin-wearied world? Only by daily learning from Jesus, our sustaining servant, can we bring rest to a sin-wearied world. If we are going to be any good to our community, if we are to be, make any progress in reproducing disciples, if we are going to join Jesus in bringing rest to our neighbors, then we must learn to adopt the same practices and habits as Jesus himself. And these practices and, hab and habits are what we see spelled out for us right in Isaiah 50, verse 4. Jesus was engaged in a day-in, day-out learning relationship with his Father. Morning by morning, he was instructed and taught by the Father. And then what did Jesus do himself do when he began his ministry? He went around traveling from town to town, 
and began inviting people, 12 men in, in particular, to become his own disciples. He, he invited others into a learning relationship with himself. He was replicating the relationship that he had with the Father. Now, in, uh, that word, disciple, we mean by Jesus was calling disciples, that carries with it a lot of baggage, right? We saw that unpacked a little bit last week. And it's a good word. I've already used the word disciple a lot, and we should keep on using it. But it's used by Christians a lot, and because of that, it's easy for us for its meaning to either become dull or generic or, or, or just confusing. So, uh, so that's why we need to go back and look at the de- definition that we had at the beginning. What, what do we mean by discipleship? Discipleship is the process of looking and linking to Jesus in daily apprenticeship to him. And here's what I mean by that. Looking and linking in daily, in daily apprenticeship. Let's, let's think for a second about what exactly Jesus was inviting these 12 men to do. Most basically, he was inviting them, he was calling them to literally and physically follow him around. Right? He, he, these men would spend every waking moment with this man. They, they would walk from town to town. They would stay in the same home. They would share every meal. They would observe every interaction. They would listen to every sermon. They would look on at every miracle. They were observing and listening. They were looking to Jesus, observing him, studying him intently. That's what Jesus was inviting them to do. But the disciples would not just passively watch, right? They weren't only looking. They also did what Jesus did. Multiple times in in his life, Jesus uh, would stop teaching and would send his disciples out to replicate, to do the same things that he had been doing. So in Matthew 10, we saw this in our series in Matthew several months ago. uh, One example of this, Jesus sends the 12 out and he says, proclaim as you go, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's the exact same thing that Jesus had been preaching his entire life. He's saying, preach the same message that I've been preaching. And then he tells them this. He says, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. In other words, do exactly what you've seen me do. Replicate what you've seen me doing. And now Jesus here is doing what every good teacher knows to do. His disciples do not just passively sit back and take in information, but he gives them the opportunities to put what they've learned into practice. Jesus knew that true learning requires looking and linking. That is, observing and aligning our lives to the same practices of our teacher. That's why one of the most helpful ways to describe discipleship is to call it apprenticeship to Jesus. And if you think about it, this is exactly how we learn any skill worth learning, right? Uh, if, uh, some of you are in our, in our church are, are trained electricians. What does every electrician have to do? They have to go through a two-year electrician apprenticeship. Sometimes it's in some places it's even more than that. They have to go through an apprenticeship to learn to become Electrician, uh, nurses, you have clinicals that you go through. Doctors, you go through. Doctors go through residencies. Teachers go through student teaching. What do all of these programs have in common? They all involve spending a lot of time with someone who has experience, observing what they do and being taught by them while also putting into practice the same skills that you've observed them perform. Apprenticeship is looking and linking to Jesus, observing and aligning our lives to him. So, what could it look like 
for you as we close here to grow as an apprentice of Jesus? What does it mean for you to look to Jesus and link yourself to him? Firstly, there's two, two things I think we can take away. First, this should reframe the way that we engage in our spiritual disciplines. Okay, that's a word that's, that's used just to describe the practices that we do to grow and become more like Christ, to foster that. Okay, so if we are to, <clears throat> if we are to be those who look to Jesus as our teacher, then we must come to him with a posture of an observant learner. I think one of our, our biggest hang-ups is that we, we do something like sit down to pray or read our Bible or, or fast or something like that, and we, we think, okay, I've got to get something out of this. Like, this has got to be, this has got to produce something for me. I've got to gain some spiritual insight or I've got to, like, level up in my spiritual maturity in some way. Uh, but, but apprenticeship to Jesus it doesn't mean trying to, to master Scripture. It, it, it's about working to allow, it's coming to Scripture with a posture in which you want Scripture to master you. So we come to, to, to Scripture, not looking what, what, what can we get out of it, but we come looking to, to have the Word of God, Jesus himself, the Word of God, read over our souls. We simply observe our Master in scripture. So maybe, so this means doing what Jesus did morning by morning, waking up and learning, waking up and observing. Uh, we, <clears throat> it means crawling out of bed uh, before you look at your phone, before you check the social media, before you uh, look at your calendar, you're opening the word of God. Maybe it's for five minutes. Maybe it's for 10 minutes. Maybe if you have an hour, an hour, whatever, whatever it would be, you're simply reading and observing. Don't, there's no pressure to get anything out of it. There's no pressure to, to, to manufacture a great, a wonderful religious spiritual experience. You're just looking to your master. You're looking to your teacher as you read of God and who he is and what he has done. What is important is that the posture of your heart be passively receptive to God's word. So we look to him in his word but we also link ourselves to him by ordering our lives in the same way that he did. And I find it helpful uh, to summarize everything that Jesus did into five categories. I say, well, to be an apprentice of Jesus means doing what Jesus did. Well, that, there's four Gospels that describe uh, everything that Jesus did. So uh, you're not going to list off and do every, replicate everything that Jesus did. But I think it's helpful for us to kind of summarize it into a few, into a few categories. There's five things that Jesus prioritized and, and did. And you can argue with me a little bit about how these were organized, but I think overall these are, this is a good summary of what Jesus did, these, these five things. Uh, Jesus was about fundamentally, first and foremost, you can put the first one in bold, Jesus was about proclaiming the truth of the gospel of his kingdom. M more than anything else, what we see in Jesus' life is him speaking, teaching the gospel of the kingdom. Jesus, secondly, Jesus invested his time and relational energy into developing others. That's what he was, he, he invited 12 men and, and, and several others on the, kind of more on the periphery into his life. And he developed them, he invested in them. Thirdly, Jesus pursued and associated with social outcasts. Fourthly, Jesus spoke out 
against religious, societal, and even demonic or spiritual oppression and, and corruption. So he speaks out and he, and he fights for, fights against oppression and corruption. And then fifthly, Jesus sought the welfare of the poor and, and the sick in his midst. So you ask, okay, what does it mean? What, do I need to, what does my life need to be about as I'm following, by, following Jesus, as I'm being apprenticed by Jesus? These five things. If you're a syllabus kind of person, this, this is your syllabus, okay? Um, this is what an apprentice of Jesus does. This is what Jesus is about. This is what we are to be about. Now, we will never master all of these. I, no one in this room could ever raise their hand and say that, I, that we do, do these five things well, but we are called to be taking a stab at it. We're called to be sh- always sharpening our skills. We're called to always be growing, always attempting, always sticking our necks out there and trying something new, replicating our teacher. So we're going to end on, on this note of application. I want these five things to kind of be, be in our ears. We're not going to jump into them anymore. But uh, we want to be those who look to Jesus and link to him by daily learning from his word. And by daily doing the same things that Jesus was about. Okay? And so and one, of the, one of the hardest areas, I think, um, for us to do this in specifically is in our marriages, for those of us who are married. And uh, it's, it's one of the most challenging ways for us to follow Jesus and to learn from him. And so I'm going to invite up Keith Hamilton um, to share with us an awesome opportunity we have tonight and, and next week. Uh, to grow as followers of Jesus in our marriage. In our marriages, yeah. Marriages. So tonight at 6.30 over here in Sunshine Park, my wife Debbie and I are going to be offering uh, just about an hour, an hour and a half of constructing with you together a family mission statement. Now, a family can be uh, kids, a family can be a husband and wife, a family can even be a single person. If you've never thought of what does it mean for me to know where I'm headed, where my family is headed, and how we're going to get there, we're going to help you by doing that, looking at some of your values, by constructing together what is things most important to you to place a real plan for your family to grow it to go where you think it needs to go. And everything is haphazard, your life is running around, and everything seems to make sense. We go back to our family mission statement and ask, this is what we're doing, this is what we decided to do, let's, let's follow it. So uh, Debbie is a, a professional counselor, and she's got a lot of history and experience with family, and so we'll be hearing from her. And then I have experience uh, in, in, in youth culture, and families as well, and so it'll be a great time for our question and answer. But you get a homework assignment tonight, and we'll meet again next week. Your homework assignment will be to come back with the ideas that you came up with for your mission statement. So really important you, you, you do make it tonight, because next week we'll be reporting on what we, what we found out. And I believe it's also going to be uh, Zoomed. Zoomed tonight yes. as well. So go to the website and find it there. Is that where they can dig it up? Yeah, yeah it'll be, yeah, the website and uh, in, oh, well, it's not in the bulletin, but yeah, it'll be on the website. Okay, yeah. great. So in case you can't come tonight, please uh, join us for that. So looking forward to you over across the street. Sunshine, you're bringing dessert? There'll be, there'll be a little something. Okay, you okay. know, can't, can't, can't give it away too much. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, I'm really, really excited about that. Um, Keith and Debbie have a, bring a lot of wisdom and experience to the table, so I'm looking forward uh, to that tonight at 6.30. If you haven't come to any of the other... Uh, marriage class uh, classes yet that's okay this is kind of like a standalone thing so come um, at 630 child care is provided we'd love to have you there um, now let me let me close us close us in prayer
<clears throat> as the band can, can come up. Father, we, we praise you uh, because you are a good and gracious God. Uh, you are... Uh, you see this world in, uh, in the mess that we find ourselves in. Uh, you see us wearied and worn by sin, um, by our own failures, by our failure to live as we have been designed to live, and you send for us a sustaining, life-giving servant. So Lord, teach us to follow that servant. Teach us to come into a daily learning relationship with you where we, where we observe you and your ways and where we uh, align our lives to you. We uh, pray that you would use this time that's been spent in your word to change us, to make us more like you. And we commit this to you in Christ's name. Amen.